Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. I've been asked to give a report on our trip to Brazil, and I hope you realize what a daunting task that is. Sanders spending five weeks in Brazil and me three weeks in Brazil, or I three weeks in Brazil. To reduce that down to a period of two hours is quite a task. So imagine making it less. A verse I'd like to read, Acts 15:36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And so, many of you that have followed the um, direction the Lord's given to us through the prayer meetings, we've shared it, um, how the Lord guided us to take the trip. It was like Bill McDonald used to always say, Pray that the Lord make his will so clear and so plain that it would be a sin not to act. And I I came to that conclusion that I had to go to Brazil because the Lord made it so plain. I didn't know what the Lord had ahead of me, but um, he had a purpose. And I hope we can see, looking back, it was a lot easier to see some of the purposes, not all of them. And so I'd like to take you through and show you um, some slides and share with you. After all, I'm an extension of this assembly just because I'm a part of the body of Christ here. And so, um, just like when you have eyes that see something, it shares with your body what you see. And so, it's my hope, my prayer, that you can relate and share vicariously with some of the things that the Lord has showed me and um, through our trip there in Brazil. Life as a missionary, you have to be prepared to see a lot of different sights, sounds, smells, Taste. Some of them are very pleasing. Some of them are quite the opposite. So I'm going to start off with what might be pleasing and show you some slides. Many of you might recognize this. I'll bet that the majority of you haven't don't recognize that. Many of you have tasted it. Yeah, go ahead and dim the lights. I don't I don't need the lights up. Okay. That is a fruit called a cashew, or we call it a cashew. You can eat the fruit. You can drink the fruit from the juice. Or you can eat the nut, and all of us have tasted the nut, but that's how it grows. And so when you're out in the mission field, all the times you see things that you've never seen before, although you might be familiar with part of it. This is a little bigger fruit. (laughs) Spiny on the outside, delicious on the inside. If you let it ripen, it will stink. (laughs) And I was told that in the Philippines, no, was it Philippines, that they have some laws about transporting these in the cars because they smell so bad. But Nathan was caught up into a small car with one of these at his side or in his lab, I'm not sure, but he was not too happy about it because it's sharp, prickly on the outside, juicy on the inside. Jackfruit, we call it here. This, at first glance, somebody thought that it was grapes. It's not grapes. Matter of fact, I don't know what it is. Santa saw it, I didn't. If I saw it, I probably would want to get one down and cut it open and see what it tasted like. But you could see them growing on the different trees. Lots of different kinds of fruit there. Some of which you've seen before, some of which you've never seen before. This is a piña. Um, piña sounds similar to pinga. Someone once said, is it the epica of pinga? And that, is it the time for pinga? But meant to say piña. And the reply was, it's always time for pinga. Well, pinga is an alcoholic beverage, sort of like whiskey. This is a piña. And what it looks like on the inside, it's very delicious. It's one of Sanders' favorite fruits. That's what it looks like on the inside. So as a missionary, you have to be prepared to try things that you've never tried before. And that's pretty exciting. 
Um, so if you're used to a constant steady diet and you uh, want to serve the Lord on a foreign field, you might consider trying some new things. Um, fruit. Jabuchi kaba. This is like a cherry. It's sweet. It grows on the trunk and the branches rather than out on the twigs and the leaves. So it looks like it's really easy to harvest and they taste delicious. Um, wait a minute, back up. Fruit. They have delicious tropical fruit in Brazil. And uh, fruit leaves a good taste in your mouth. But there's something more important than this kind of fruit, and that's the spiritual fruit that we like to see uh, in our lives. And on this particular trip, Sandra went two weeks before I did, and she got to stay out with Eliani. Many of you have met Eliani. Eliani accepted the Lord one, uh, one Sunday after I preached the gospel. We'd been studying the, the scriptures with her, and after that, Sandra discipled her, followed her up, and t- discipled her in the scriptures. So she might be what you would call um, our child in the faith. Well, Sandra went and visited her, tried to encourage her. She lives two hours' drive from an assembly, so it's not easy for her to make the meetings. Uh, oftentimes in the pouring rain, it's dangerous. Uh, the encouraging thing about it is the fruit that she's seen in her life there. She studied SBC with three girls, Giselle, Magali, and Larissa. And uh, they accepted the Lord. All three of them accepted the Lord. And this was three years ago. And so they're going on for the Lord. And so uh, I, I'd like to present that as encouragement because when you think about it, um, they're my spiritual grandchildren. They're Rick Bellis's great-grandchildren spiritually and in a sense they're fruit from this assembly because it was this assembly that commended us to the work and that fruit was born through the saints being behind us as an extension of this body and so that's greatly uh, encouraging it it encourages us to to see that you know Isaac went out when he was near Abimelech and it said he he went out and sowed and in one year he reaped a hundredfold and I was thinking about our lives when we sow in our lives, it's not really unreasonable to believe that the Lord uh, can reap hundredfold for our sowing. It's just that we don't oftentimes hear about it and know about it. Um, and those generations keep going. Our prayer is that those three women, we pray that they will see fruit and they'll be great, great grandchildren. Okay. Different animals. This is a full-size bull with short legs. <laughs> Special breed. I've never seen anything like it before. The height of a pig, the length of a cow. Uh, different sites. If you like pets, this is a pet. It happens to be of the family of the biggest rodent in the world, a capivari. This is a healthy specimen, but it was a personal pet. So you have to be prepared for things that you've never seen before. <laughs> Eliani lives in a rural, rural area, and this is her neighbor. She's studied with her. Um, she's not saved. We can pray for her salvation. Uh, her name is Maria, and she has a daughter. This is her daughter. And so you can see the background of, of typical rural um, Brazil, how they live, where they live, out on a farm, in a farming community. Eliani's brother, Zildo, he made a profession in the past. It turned out not to be so, but we still pray for his salvation. The most hospitable unbeliever you've probably ever met. Uh, a servant just took the whole time and just spent it giving the, the uh, Nathan and Heidi and Sander experiences they would have never gotten had he not spent that time with them. Uh, Eliani's father, 
his name's Toshio and her mother. Um, Kimiko, they're not saved. We could pray for their salvation. She's made a profession. She may be saved. He's not. She's just getting lunch ready, I think. <laughs> Singeing all the, the, the feathers off the, the, um, the bird is a little easier. Um, Brazil, it's a country of rivers. Most of the rivers look like this, muddy. You don't know what creatures are lurking, lurking down in there, so it's not uh, very inviting. When we were there at the camp, there's a kazal, a couple of river otters. They would come up out of the river, and they'd get at the pond at the camp, they, and they killed several things there. Um, but we had a fun time you know, chasing it down in the pond. Next. <laughs> Just to give you the idea, things are different sizes there. Bamboo. There's Nathan right down there. If you could see him, this is how tall Nathan is, and that's the bamboo. <laughs> so things like the the uh, the capivari, the the pet rat, they're just a little bit bigger than they are here. <laughs> they do things differently there at camp. They added um, a second story and a third story on top of a building. They didn't have stairs going up in the building, so they just build a ramp on top of the roof and come by the outside. And so. Different method of construction, not entirely safe, but they get by. Next. Uh, this is the house that we lived in when we came out of the north. They graciously let us stay there on the camp. So these are pictures of the camp. We got to go to the assembly in Sozis. Sozis is when we came out of the north. We spent six months up in the north. We came out of the north, and um, we helped out in the Sozis assembly. We were part of the Sozis assembly for a short while. The Sozis Assembly was uh, planted by Dominic Lipsy, a missionary that is now with the Lord. He had uh, two sons there in the assembly that also took an active part in the leadership of the assembly. Now, my hat's off to the work that that man did. He was a gospel preacher. And sometimes, as you see your family grow up, your family could take a prominent place in the assembly. And that's not always a good thing in the foreign field. You want to see nationals raised up. You want it to be their work. Um, it's interesting, for one reason or another, the Lord has extricated the Lipsy clan, the, the, the males. Dominic went home to be with the Lord. Timothy and his wife tragically got uh, killed in a bus accident, head-on collision, and they died. Jonathan, um, the son, his, son, uh, his, son was, his name, son's name was Son, his son was murdered, and so he left the country. And so now the assembly, Marjorie's still there, and Jeannie Nelson is still there. Jeannie would be Dominic's daughter. But the assembly is in the hands of Brazilians at this time. And they recently went through a split about a year ago. And they're recovering from that. But um, praise the Lord, it's in the hands of the Brazilians. And so they're going forward with the work. Um, and we were warmly received. Uh, the fellow, one of the elders there, someone that I had worked with in the past, he's a man of the word of God. And uh, he received us into his house. We had dinner with him. And we talked about the work. And he warmly welcomed our return to help out in the work. Um, and uh, so as we were there, we were looking, well, if the Lord did have us help out, where would we help out? And it's nice to receive a welcome. Um, in going over the church split, we went over some of the details. And um, I shared with some of our experiences here how we may have done things differently. And he was very open. And he says, you know, perhaps that's what we should have done. We could have avoided a lot of the problems. And so it was neat to see them open to um, a little council. This is Jeannie's son. It's neat when you see second and third generation going on for the Lord. This is a gem of a fellow. 
Um, he also, when we went down there, dropped everything he was doing, and he, he was just a servant. Warm, welcome personality, and yet there was a spiritual side to him that was just uh, winsome. Uh, taking part in the meetings, very spiritual, spiritual man. His brother, Joshua. So these are two sons of, grandsons of Dominic Lipsy by Jeannie, Jeannie Nelson. Um, this is Joshua, her son, married to a, a Sarah from England with one daughter and um, also taking part in the meetings there, thinking about moving to England. Um, this is uh, celebrating Heidi's birthday. These, this couple right here, Vladimir, we can pray for Vladimir's salvation and Hygiena. They were neighbors across the street from us when we lived in Campinas. Spent a lot of time with them. Sandra met with Hygiena, just a real jewel of a Christian. He hasn't accepted the Lord, uh, but we just have a real close relationship. And they also dropped everything they were doing when they found out they were there, and they took us around. Um, here's Eliani, in case you don't remember her, and Jeannie Nelson. Uh, Jeannie Nelson. I had a chance. You know, part of our, our trip was encouraging those that we, we came across. And um, I, I can remember Jeannie Nelson saying this one time, can't we just agree to disagree, you know? And that sort of rubbed me the wrong way at the time. Of course, I'm a little older, more seasoned now, hopefully a little more gracious. And I went there, and I, uh, after all that she's been through, I, I, I said, Dina, you know, I really, really respect you because you have been through the fires. She's been through a divorce, which I don't believe was her fault. We were in the middle of the, the, the difficulties there, and so we know that. Um, her father is with the Lord. Her brother... Um, killed in a tragic bus accident. Her, uh, her nephew murdered at the hands of Brazilians, some of them part of the police. Um, her other brother bitter. And yet she's going on for the Lord. She's teaching English, but more important, she's teaching the Bible in public schools, and she's continued that to this day. And there was a spirituality about her, of putting the Lord uh, first. And when I noticed different questions that I had about the camp, she was right there recognizing the same things, you know. Um, so we can pray for Jeannie. She's one of the Lord's dear ones that are shining bright there in Brazil. Uh, next. There's, pardon? The temperature in the south, I would say it was in its 90s. It was raining, so that would cool it off. Really humid, real moist in the air. And this is um, Jeannie with Sandra with Linda Brown. And Warren came, and Linda came next. And that's Warren Brown. Many of you know him. He went through the intern training program. He traveled three hours to come and see us. And so we had a lovely afternoon talking about the work. Um, we had a barbecue um, and a good fellowship. This is the city of Campinas. So this is a neighborhood in Campinas. This last year was voted the most violent city in Brazil. People get kidnapped weekly here. Uh, if you've... I wouldn't even want to drive downtown in this city. <laughs> it's hair-raising. And I've been in different points, parts of Brazil. This is the least place I would want to drive a car. I just go into the city by bus. Buses come within like four to six inches of each other. If you're standing in between them, you get crushed. Traffic weaving in and out like, like you wouldn't believe it. Worse than the bumper cars when you, when you, if you've ever driven bumper cars. And yet it's a, a big metropolis. There are, there are a lot of people there. And... Um, there's still a need there. We left Campinas on our way to the north of Brazil. Two days into our trip, Corey hurt herself. She uh, tore some ligaments. 
We had to get her some crutches, didn't have time to get her to the doctor because we had plans to go up north. We had a conference to get to, so she, we just, she just hobbled along with us, and so we helped her along. This is not the Amazon. This is too small to be the Amazon. Next. Give you an idea of what we're flying into. We flew into Manaus, a couple thousand miles up the Amazon, and then we're going to fly into Santanang, which is a thousand miles up the Amazon. Next. This is where we are going to, Santanang. Now, you have to realize something about Santanang. It's not a pleasant place to live. After being there, you would not choose to live there if you were looking for a pleasant place to live. It is hot. Really hot. It's humid. Really humid. It's dirty. Really dirty. And it smells. It really smells. So there's nothing real pleasant about this place. Nothing at all. A place that you might want to visit for a couple hours and then get out of there. But there are precious souls there. And there's a quality about the believers there that, that I don't see in most other places. This is Samuel and Ann Davidson who have graciously received us. When I think of true missionaries, uh, this is who I think of. When we were there, Sandra and I and Corey, when Corey was 19 months old or however old she was when we first went there, these people opened up their house to us. They moved from their house, three bedrooms, they had three children, to a boat the size, if you take Howard and Kathy's trailer, reduce it to two-thirds of the size, put it on water, they moved into that, a family of five, so that we would have their house to live in as new missionaries. She comes from a believing family. Her grandparents were missionaries to Africa. They were buried in Africa. Her parents are present missionaries in Africa. And she was raised on the mission field. She knows what missionaries' life's like. And she knows what the sacrifices are. She says where she's at now is way easier than where she came from in Africa. These are rugged individuals. These, these are people that uh, it's hard to compare. They're soldiers of the cross. They're not chocolate soldiers. You know, they're not milk toast Christians. They're out there every day in that smelly, hot, uncomfortable, bug-laden, snake-ridden place serving the Lord daily. And oh, how I respect them. They received us. This is what Santanang looks like on the waterfront. Notice the water's low. The water on the Amazon here goes up and down up to 10 meters through a year. That's 30 feet. Due to the snowfall in the Andes Mountains, the rainfall, as a matter of fact, a thousand miles up the Amazon, it's such a mighty river, it's so huge, it's the biggest river in the world volume-wise, that you can sense the effect of high tide and low tide at the ocean a thousand miles away in Santana. But that doesn't uh, add to the rise and fall of the river. It's mostly the rainy season with the snowfall in the Andes. So, when the river's up, it's easier to get to places. But it's also easier for things to get to you. When it's down, it's not so hard because you have dry land to walk on. It's the in-between times. When you can't quite get your boat to where you want it to go, so you've got to get out and walk, you know, in ankle-deep, sometimes knee-deep mud. That's the hard part. Strange things you might see. Trees in the uh, city plaza. Samuel's back uh, door 
you notice where the river is then now where we, when we were at this is a picture we took but during the rainy season the river laps up to this point here all the way up to the back his backyard and up a couple steps and so he's got a ramp that he, he the bedroom we stayed in with opens up largest where he can pull his boat right into the bedroom and so when the river's up that's where he keeps his boat when he goes out to do visitation in the nearby villages he just opens the back door to the bedroom and pulls the boat out of course the disadvantage is you wouldn't believe what comes in from the river and was washing clothes one day and behind the wash machine a big snake you know snakes get into the house from there they said keep the shutters closed because you might you'd be surprised what can get in lizards this long will crawl in so there's a lot of things that come in from the river i mean it looks huge looks like you know it could be part of the bay and yet there's all kinds of critters in there why do they travel by boat Santarang has about 100 miles, a couple of roads with no 100 kilometers of asphalt. That's about, oh, 70 miles. Beyond that's the Trans-Amazon Highway, where you really can get moving. That's what this is, the Trans-Amazon Highway. So you can see why people fly in or they go by boat. Okay? This is the boat. This is about the size of the boat that Samuel and moved on so that we can move into their house. This is a typical uh, boat. And then there's... Um, commercial boats. Now you can see how they're packed on there. There might be a couple of hundred hammocks swinging there, like sardines. It's really neat when the boat sways, they all swing together. <laughs> Most of Samuel's visitation to the outer lying areas are by a boat like this, and this is very uncomfortable. Um, they serve meals on here that you wouldn't eat, and he doesn't. Um, they, 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 uh, this is the Tapajos River. It's not muddy, that's how you can tell. But when they're on the Amazon, they just suck the water right up, put it in the tanks, and that's what they feed to the people to drink. So Samuel doesn't drink the water on here. Samuel will get amoebas. When we left, we had to get amoeba poison to take amoeba poison. Amoeba's like a giardia that you get, but there's like 11 different kinds there. So there's a one poison kills all kind of thing that we had to take when we left, and then there's a worm killer. We had to get dewormed before leaving. I just took another one yesterday just to make sure if there's anything left to get rid of it. <laughs> He's subject to this day in, day out. He's been there for 25 years. Out of 25 years, his cumulative furlough time has been less than a year. He's a naturalized Brazilian. Um, took the test, become naturalized, so he holds dual citizenship. His family, his two sons, have married Brazilians, and they continue in Santarang, both in two different assemblies, taking part. He said, Eric, if we had gone back to the Brazil, our sons wouldn't be taking parts in meetings. They're shy. Oh, Ireland, excuse me, in Ireland. Yeah, so he thought it was good for them to stay there, you know. Um, and they're, they're real uh, gems. Bigger boats come up the Amazon. This one, uh, it's, a, it's a soybean um, storage and transport facility which is a big part of the dock. Bigger boats yet come up. So if you ever want to come see Santarang, and you don't want to do it the hard way, here's an easier way. They take cruise liners right up there, even past there. It's a wide river. Where we're at, the, the Amazon's 40 miles across. There's a big island with three lakes in the middle. Um, and so now we're on our way to the conference. As you know, I prayed. I didn't want to go to, uh, to Brazil uh, for a vacation. I wanted to go to minister, and, and that's one of the answers to prayers that I was looking for. Well, Samuel said, you can take part in the conference. He asked me if I would like to. I said, sure. So that was an answer to prayer to me. 
Now, there were two people that were supposed to be preaching there, and I only thought I'd be preaching a couple of times, gospel message and, and, and um, some ministry. Well, the one fellow that he accepted the Lord when he escaped from prison, turned himself back in, and that was eight years ago, finished his prison term, got out, but he needs permission to travel in Brazil, sort of like, um, uh, I don't know what it is, he just needs permission. He didn't get permission. So it was just one other guy and myself. So in the eight days that I was up in the north, I preached nine times. I wasn't expecting to, but I thanked the Lord for it. That's what he wanted me to do. And I, I was greatly encouraged. So this is our way out to the conference. Um, this has taken us out to a larger boat. In the background, you see the muddy brown water of the Amazon. You see how big it is? You can't even see the other side out there. And yet the foreground, the blue water, the blue waters of the Tapajos. It's a river, right? Something sits in the armpit of two rivers, the mighty Amazon and the Tapajos that flows into it. The, the Amazon's 40 miles across. The Tapajos, the mouth of the Tapajos flowing into the Amazon is uh, 20 kilometers wide. So that's about 13 miles wide. So you get an idea of the size of these rivers. The Amazon River pushes brackish water out into the ocean 250 miles give you an idea just how much volume we're talking about. Jeez, it took us four hours by riverboat to get to the conference from Santana. And who was our pilot for uh, quite a while? <laughs> Nathan got to pilot boat. We even had some stowaways. This is, doesn't look too rough, does it? Uh, that's not the stowaway I was talking about. But <laughs> um, that is an excellent way to travel by boat because you don't get seasick. Every movement of the boat, the hammocks counter, counter that. And it's also where we slept at the conference. So all the time I was up in the north, I slept in the hammock, no, even when I was at Samuel's house. Um, and my back didn't hurt like it usually does in a bed. There's the stowaway. The morsego, the little bat. So, you know, you'd see all kinds. Nathan, I don't know what it is about Nathan, but if there's a critter there, he somehow finds it. Whether it's uh, toads, lizards, uh, snakes, anything, he finds it. So this is what uh, it's like, life on the river. You pull up in the riverboat and you drop down a ramp and you go to meetings. This is what it's like when the river's up. It's real easy to get into the hall. You just pray, you pull your boat up to a window at the front steps and you crawl in. It actually gets higher than this. It gets up to the green. So you see, wait a minute, back up. Now you see that family? Two ladies and two kids, two or three kids. See what they're in? They're in a dugout canoe. There's nothing that's going to stop them from coming to meeting. Come high water, come low water, they're going. That's a real testimony to me. Forty boats line the river, converging at one spot for this conference. Between four and five hundred people there. Um, next. Some of them slept outside, some of them slept on the boats. Pleasant weather. There was a nice cool breeze. I mean, it was hot, but there were times where you could feel the cool breeze. I usually perspire in my face um, quite readily. But at this trip, I was perspiring through my legs. I mean, I could feel my pants just starting to drip. That's how hot it was. A, a handkerchief was wet, you know, within the first three minutes of the message. So uh, it was uncomfortable, but yet the Lord provided a cool breeze, and they called that pleasant weather. This is what you call a bathroom. Four stalls for the men with showers, four stalls for the women with showers. Now, the reason why they built this 
is because 40 boats converging in a one location on the Amazon. The Amazon sort of stagnant at that place. Um, people, they have bathrooms in the boats. And you know where it goes, in the river. And so that's where they get the water from. So they were finding the last year's conference here before people were getting sick. And so they decided, well, we better build a bathroom. So think about that bathroom is that everything had to be brought in from Santanang, which is a four-hour boat ride. Sand, shoveled into sacks, brought in, hauled up. Tile, covering, the plumbing. Everything was brought in. It was like the whole thing was brought in from four hours. So it represented a lot of work. And so there are people, there are the brothers there that volunteered that work so that when the conference came around that people would have a bathroom. Um, and then they told the people to not use the boats, which some listened, some didn't. But of course, when it ran out of water, they had a big tank on the side. They'd hook a pump down into the river right in between all the boats and suck all the water up into the tank. So you just have to, that's what life's like there. This is the, the uh, fellow that took part in the meetings, Gerson. He's up in a northern area of, uh, of, uh, of Brazil, even farther up north, maybe even a more difficult region, Macapá. So we can pray for Gerson. He's a Brazilian commended worker. Um, he did a fine job. Fine job. And this is someone you might know. Next. This is part of the crowd. You can see they put a covering over for shade. You can see part of the, just a little finger of the Amazon in the background. And this is where the conference was held. Next. This man surprised me. His name is Antonio. He said, do you remember me? And that's his mother. I said, no. He said, 23 years ago, you shared your testimony in my house. Samuel translating. He said, I accepted the Lord that night. I didn't know that. I never knew that. And that was, you know, as that sunk down, the Lord was sort of saying, Eric, there are ways that I use my people that they don't even know about. Every once in a while, the Lord gives us a little morsel of encouragement that we need to keep us going. And probably he withholds the full impact of our lives to keep us from getting proud. That was a tremendous encouragement to me. And that was when I went, sent out by Calvary the very first time, 23 years ago. That's encouraging because somebody doesn't usually come up to you and say, I accepted the Lord 23 years ago. When somebody accepts the Lord, we hope that it's genuine. I think after 23 years, we can, you know, have pretty much assurance that it's genuine. Wherever we went, um, the kids followed the girls. Then they just learned their names, showed them attention, um, spent time with them on the boat, teaching them things. The next generation. They had a baptism there. This is Germano. I knew him 23 years ago. I was so encouraged because when I got there, um, you'll see individuals. You heard stories about when I went there as a single guy. People that I knew, Germano, Silvedio, Damasio, uh, Izaki. These people are still around today serving the Lord there. 23 years. I think 23 years back, if you have known the Lord that long in your life, how many people that you knew that were serving the Lord then are still in our midst serving the Lord? That's rare. I was so encouraged. They were going on. And, and they just, they hugged me and embraced me like I was their, their brother, which I am, but uh, it, was, it was very touching. Um, they had remembered stories I had completely forgotten. And uh, so that just shows you how 
marked it is when someone from another part of the world comes to help out uh, among believers in another part of the world. So he was preaching at the baptism, preaching from a boat to a crowd, <laughs> many unsaved in the midst. And there were nine brave souls that went down into the Amazon River to be baptized. And that's what it's all about, people coming to know the Lord and taking a stand at the, at the Savior's side. Many people made sacrifices for that conference. Some person killed five bulls to feed the crew. And they'd, they'd bring the, the meat in draped over somebody's back in from a boat, from a, fre- from a ranch up river. And they'd just, you'd just watch them draped over with meat over their backs. And then there was a whole crew of cooks that cut it up and made some delicious food. There's, there's some of the food that we ate. And uh, it might, I don't know how that looks to you, but it sure tasted good. And finally, we had to pack up and go. Um, there's the boat that we came on, the Elohim. When we got there, of course, you have to set up your little plank so people that get off the boat, especially Corey and Crutches, um, don't sink down into the mud. Back to Santarang, and you can see the boats. Uh, they're just jam-packed with people. There's a lot of travel around Santarang. Next. Now, this time, there was a lot more vegetables and fruits than the last time we'd been there. And so it's a pretty sight. Um, beans and farinha. You can't get farinha anywhere else like you can get farinha there. It's made from a mandioca root steeped in water or you can't eat it. It's poisonous and then baked over these big pans that are like those Spanish pans. You know. uh, the marketplace. Keep going. Keep going. Pick a, pick a pineapple. Which one you want? The one right in the middle. <laughs> Next. Um, different kind of fish there. This is an exos- exoskeleton fish. It's all hard on the outside. They throw it on the grill just like that. Um, it's not something you can get the scales off without cooking them off. That fish right there was a filiachi. That's called a puppy. That fish, that type of fish, gets up to one ton in weight, and they'll swallow a man. I was amazed, but not surprised. Twins. <laughs> Sights and smells aren't often pretty. You see the utabu over there? They're, they're the vultures. They're looking for something to eat. And this is a common sight. One of the reasons why you wouldn't pick Santarang is your favorite vacationing place. There's some beautiful places close to Santarang, but in the city, it's not so pretty. This is a typical neighborhood with a t- typical taxi stop. There's your taxis. Need to go get your groceries? We'll take you. Next. This fellow right here, I forget his name. Um, he was, 13 years ago when I was there, he was helping Samuel on his boat. This fellow is a believer. Um, less than a year ago, he was working, taking a guard's place at a school. Five guys came to kill the guard whose place he was taking. They beat him to within an inch of his life. And they wanted to kill him. Four of them wanted to kill him, but one of them realized this isn't the guy we're looking for, and he stopped the other four from killing them. Um, he still has some problems to today from that beating. But he, after that experience, says he thought that was good for his spiritual life because it really woke him up and showed him what's important. And he's going on strong for the Lord. And so when you can take an experience like that and realize that God permitted it and even has a purpose in it, I think you can almost face anything, you know. Germano and Silvadio, great encouragement to see them going on for the Lord. Germano was at the conference. He did the baptism of Silvadio. He missed the conference. 
because he was going to go up to Makapa to help in the work there. Ten days there. It's going to harder for each place. Taking time off work. These people put the Lord's work first even before their work. Damasio. Damasio was the pilot of the boat when I first went there. He'd take us around to all the different places. And so it was encouragement to see him and his son there. These two fellows, you can see a little bit of the Indian in the face, facial structure of Junior here. They're from an assembly in Prainha. Out of that assembly, he is the only one that knows how to read and write. So we can pray for him. Spiritually minded, but he's going to be obviously the teacher there. So we can pray for him. Junior. Junior. After that was a time for a little bit of R&R, Samuel decided he was going to take us out to the white sands of the Tapajos. Tapajos is a blue river. Um, some of the pictures you're about to see is not very typical of Brazil. That's his boat that he usually goes out to the nearer areas. Those are our footprints. No one else is where there. That is not a beach. That is a river. The Tapajos River. It's not muddy brown like the Amazon. It's clear blue. The Tapajos. And we had to get there to cool off, and that was Corey's leg in a cast. It was really amazing the day, uh, it was a, a Christmas Eve that we went in to see a doctor. No doctor was around. They wouldn't x-ray it. Um, the x-ray technician said that he'd come out and x-ray it. And he said, nothing's broken, but she's, you're going to see a doctor. I said, well, the lady said there's no doctor to see today in the whole city. He says, there's one doctor coming in to give a cons uh, 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 to consult. He says, and I think she'll, he'll see her. And he went and talked to her. And then he saw Corey, and then he immediately left after that. And so he told us of Corey's condition and gave us um, some medicine. But Corey got sick that morning. So we were delayed 45 minutes. And then all of a sudden, she got better. Had she not, she says, I think I know why I got sick. Had she not gotten sick to her stomach, we wouldn't have arrived in the perfect time to see that doctor. So that encouraged us. And so the rest of the trip, she was like this. So we just sort of had to support her legs. She had to keep it elevated. So we found a way. And this is another portion um, of the Topaz Ocean River where we went out to have a nice swim to relax after the conference. But we still had some meetings to go to. That's the Topaz Ocean, just one portion of it. Cooling off. Next. Beautiful skies, beautiful scenery. Not all ugly. Go ahead. We went to the interior, about a 45-minute ride to Belteja, where there was another assembly there. Um, just to give you an idea how grateful these dear souls are um, for people coming in and, and encouraging them. Um, I got to preach 11 different times while in Santarang, nine at the conference, two at others. And at one of the small assemblies, I was there, um, and I gave a message for half an hour. In fellowship afterwards, it was a prayer meeting. They do half prayer, half ministry. Um, before I left, they refused to take no for an answer. They had fellowship with me of 200 hayas, which is about $115. You have to realize that's more than two weeks' salary for most of the people in that assembly. Like the widow that gave two mites. That said a lot. you know. Um, spiritually minded. I was impressed in something. There was a level of spirituality that it was perceivable. And, and I asked, I talked to Sam about it. I said, I said, what is it? What is it? And one, one thing is distractions. They don't have a lot of distractions that we have here. To, their, to them, it's survival. Living day to day is the task at hand, you see. 
To them, they value the spiritual side of life, the walk with the Lord, the fellowship of the saints. See, Anything beyond that is just survival. See? But there was something else, too, there, and he, he mentioned it, and I recognized it. And, and, you know, I started thinking about it. The Church of the Last Days in Laodicea was known for being lukewarm. But there's a, a, a verse that says, because you see I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And I, I recognized a different, uh, something different in that verse. And that's, to me, what made the difference with the saints there in the north of Brazil, is they are dependent. They are dependent. There's a dependence there that they recognize. A dependence upon the Lord and a dependence upon one another. And their lives are so intertwined that that dependence is visible. And it, it's a greenhouse for spiritual growth. When someone had a need, they all sought to attend to that need. When the gospel was being spread, they all wanted to participate. The work grew and grew. When, we first, when I first went there, there were five assemblies. There are now 16 with six preaching points with a constant desire to reach out farther and farther to places that the Lord isn't yet known. And I think of the danger of the church of the last times, even the danger among us, we in our society, in our culture, lift up the idea of independence. The independent one. Independently wealthy. Independent he doesn't need. Independent he's not a, quote, burden to anyone. There's a lot of different spins on that. You know, when I think of Bill going home to be with the Lord, it's an occasion like that where we really start to recognize our interdependence. We depend on one another. Maybe not so much in our practical lives, but in our spiritual lives even more so. They, because they recognize it in their practical lives, it's so easy for it to spill over and be recognized in their spiritual lives. The danger with us is because we're so independent-minded and so self-sufficient that we become that way spiritually. And that's the beginning of the decline into being lukewarm. And so the Lord showed that to me afresh. And within my heart, while I was in Santarang, I think I'm going to close. I have so many more slides to show, and I don't want to keep you here for two more hours. But um, the Lord really spoke to me because during that time, I was wondering, Lord, um, what can I do? Uh, how can I serve you? I, I see so many... Uh, needs and possibilities uh, and so many obstacles <laughs> and it was in Samuel's house that I was pondering those things for several days that uh, I came across an article that gave me the answer in this book right here amazing ants lessons from the ants in another underground nest the wood ants spend the old winter inside in the nest inside the nest and when spring comes some of the workers go outside to look for food. These ants have a different way of gathering food than the honeypot ants. They look for insects to take back to the nest. Sometimes an ant finds a butterfly, which is a big piece of food for a little ant to find. The butterfly has spent the winter sitting there on a tree and is still in a state of winter sleep. The ant will come, cut off a little piece of the butterfly, and take it back to the nest where it runs around with it in an excited way. It is trying to tell the others, come with me, I've found food. A second ant understands the message of the first ant. This second ant is willing to go and help. 
It shows its willingness by rolling over on its back and folding its legs along its body. The first ant then carries the second ant back to the bush where the butterfly was. These two ants work quickly to cut off more parts and carry them home. Each time they go home with the food, they run around trying to wake up others, and each time more ants go back to help them. The big job is finally finished because some ants willingly went to help bring home the butterfly. Later in the same nest, a queen ant lays some eggs. She sometimes lays so many that there are not enough helpers to look after them all. One of the queen's helpers then leaves the queen to look for more helpers from among other ants in the nest. She will go to some who are sorting through the food and all the other things that ants bring into the nest. The queen's helpers will give a drop of food to the ant who is sorting. This little drop contains some of the queen's substances and it will change the behavior of the sorter ant. The queen's helper will then touch the feelers and face of the sorter in a certain way and then it will willingly then it willingly rolls over and folds up his legs. It is then picked up and carried down to the queen's room. There it becomes a willing helper to look after the eggs. So it's like the Lord was saying, Eric, this is one thing I require of you. I'm giving you a taste of what I'm doing, whether it's here at Calvary, whether it's in Brazil, the mission fields the world. The question is, are you willing? You can leave the details to me, but are you willing? I remember a time in my life when I was young. And the Lord was saying that to me. Are you willing to put all on the altar? To give up all for me? And I remember that's when I went to Santarang the first time. I was young. Stronger than I am now. A little bit less sensitive than I am now, even to bug bites. Not really knowing what all that meant. Now I'm a little older. Santarang isn't an exciting place to live. It's a hard place to live. The mission field has its difficulties. And after years of walking with the Lord and being different places, I know that a lot better. I know the real difficulties. Perhaps you know that in your life. Perhaps you were at one place in your life where you felt you were willing to give up everything. The, the Lord's asking me, Eric, are you still willing? And I'd like to just close with this devotional that I read quite a while back, and it really says a lot. Because the real question is, are we still willing? And you'll never know unless you do it. A story I heard about, uh, about I heard a story about a small church that was having a reunion. A former member who attended the celebration had become a millionaire. When he testified how God had blessed him over the years, he related an incident from his childhood. He said that when he earned his first dollar as a boy, he decided to keep it for the rest of his life. But then a guest missionary preached about the urgent need on the mission field. He struggled about giving his dollar. The Lord won, however. The man said, then with a sense of pride, he added, I put my treasured dollar in the offering basket. And I'm convinced that the reason God has blessed me so much is that when I was a little boy, I gave him everything I possessed. The congregation was awestruck by the testimony until a little old lady in the front piped up, I dare you to do it again. 
There's a vital truth behind that story. Past attainments are not a measure of present spiritual maturity. As Christians, we cannot rest on past victories. We must give the Lord our full devotion now. Then no one will need to challenge us. I dare you to do it again. Let's pray. Lord, it's a tremendous privilege to have a glimpse of what you're doing in the lives of others, even in another part of the world. It's a tremendous privilege to be a part of what you're doing here. Lord, and think of Bill, who spent his life laying it in your hands to do with as you will. And we pray that we might take stock. Lord, that we might be willing instruments of yours, but more than willing, desirous to be picked up by you, to have the hand of the Master over our lives, that we might bear fruit for your good pleasure for eternity. Pray for each one here this morning, if they don't know you, that they might long to know you, that they might even put that longing into action by asking questions, how they might come to know you. Pray for us that have known you for quite some time, and at certain times in our lives we were more willing to cast all that we have at your feet, and sometimes through, through the years and through many distractions and perhaps complications, we have found ourselves far from that place in our life. Oh, Lord, we pray that you'd move our hearts and our souls to once again dare to do it again and cast all at your feet. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.